It's episode 30 of the Keto for Women show. You're listening to the Keto for Women show, and I'm your host and nutritionist, Sean Miner. This show is designed to empower women to find their own expression of the keto diet to maximize their health and happiness. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hey, hey there, friends. Welcome back to Keto for Women. Thanks for joining me and Happy New Year to you all. Happy 2018. I hope you had a great holiday and are ready to tackle this new year. I know I definitely am ready. Today, we are doing a rapid fire Q&A episode. I'm taking all of the questions I've been getting over the past six months, any that have a relatively quick answer that I can get through and trying to do it all here in one episode so that those questions can be answered and we can get through a bunch and it's done. So that's the goal for today. That's the hope, at least. We'll see how well I do because as you all can guess by now, I'm not one for short answers all the time, but we're going to try. We're going to try our best. Before we get going with the show, let's chat about the sponsor of this episode of the Keto for Women show, Health IQ. Health IQ is an insurance company that helps health conscious people like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, and healthy eaters get lower rates on their life insurance. Health IQ can save their customers up to 33% because they have found scientific proof showing physically active people have a 56% lower risk of heart disease, 20% lower risk of cancer, and a 58% lower risk of diabetes compared to people who are inactive. Like saving money on your car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ saves you money on your life insurance for living a health-conscious lifestyle. I've partnered with Health IQ because I'm a huge fan of their philosophy on recognizing those that take their health seriously, like us Keto for Womeners, and rewarding us for doing so by saving us money on our life insurance rates. Head to healthiq.com slash keto to see if you qualify and to support the show. There, you will take a quick lifestyle quiz, which will determine your potential savings. That's health iq.com slash keto to learn more. Just some quick announcements before we get into today's episode. I actually don't have a whole lot to share with you. I guess I can tease that I have some upcoming information in the next few weeks that will be really a great tool for all of you dealing with digestive issues. If you don't have awesome digestion, you're going to want to listen in, pay attention over the next few weeks when I announce a brand new tool slash class slash something you're definitely going to want to be a part of. So keep an eye out for that. Other than that, just a few reminders. Remember that on Facebook, if you follow me at Sean Minor Holistic Health, that is not my personal Facebook page. That is my business Facebook page. So trying to friend me on my personal page isn't going to get you there. Sean Minor Holistic Health, that on Facebook. If you follow me over there, you can also now start viewing my Instagram stories 
over on Facebook, which is great because that's what I use primarily as my way to communicate with you all when I'm not podcasting. So if you want to get to know me a little better, if you want to see what I do on a day-to-day basis, what I'm eating, what I'm working on, my walks, my nights out, my family, my friends, all that good stuff, find me over there. You can do that on Facebook. Or of course, if you're already following me on Instagram and you're on Instagram, And maybe you're not even using stories yet. But if you don't, you definitely should. They're super fun. You can find me there, of course, too, if you're already on Instagram. Either way, now we have more ways to connect, which I'm super excited about. And as far as social media goes, again, just another quick reminder that the Fat Burning Female Project does also have its own Instagram and Facebook page. You can find both by just searching fat-burning female, and you will find them. And that is a great idea if you're someone who's not sure if that course is right for you or not. That's a good way to check in and just see kind of what people are saying, what they're doing, what they're eating, that kind of stuff. And we'll update that with information kind of as we go through the class. Now we're in the January class, and so we'll have new info coming out just based on what they're saying, what they're doing, how they're doing, And I think it's a great tool for people to use if you're someone who's not currently a fat-burning female, but you might want to be in the future. It's a good way to see if it's right for you, I think, besides me just constantly telling you. You know, it's like you can get another resource, which is always great. Before we get into questions, because it is the beginning of a new year, I mean, of course, we have to talk a little bit about resolution making, don't we? Because... I mean, I was a resolution maker for most of my life, and only in the past few years have I kind of changed my thoughts on that and given some different ideas for the start of a new year. And I really like what I've been doing instead. And so I want to give you maybe some new ideas that you could try this year instead of making a resolution that you might not stick to. And let's first talk about that, because if you are someone who does really want a resolution, does really want to make a goal for yourself, that is awesome. That's great. I'm definitely not telling you that you shouldn't by any means. However, I would maybe give you some suggestion as to how you could create this resolution or this goal that would potentially be more beneficial to you and you would potentially stick it out longer. Because, I mean, we all can agree that's One of the things about resolutions that is just kind of this known thing is that they don't last. I mean, I saw it every single year working in a gym environment. January 1st, there would be so many people you couldn't even get a machine. And then by February 14th, it was always Valentine's Day. It was empty. And it stayed empty the rest of the year until January 1st rolled around. So there definitely is this thing where we make these resolutions. This year is going to be the year that I X, Y, and Z. And I'm going to do this by X, Y, and Z. And then it lasts for maybe a few weeks and then it's gone. And I really think the reason for that is because we're not approaching these goals with the right mindset. We're probably making them a little too strict, just 
things that aren't actually attainable if we really truly think about it. You know, we're listening to Keto for Women show, so let's keep it focused on that. If you say, I'm going to stick to a strict ketogenic diet all year this year so I can lose X amount of pounds and reduce my inflammation and all of these things that you want to happen from your ketogenic diet. If you say that and yet you've never actually been able to do that, if this is something that you just keep repeating to yourself and you've never actually been able to do it, then you're not really in the right mindset to make this change into being strict ketogenic diet. So you're still thinking about it as a diet. You have to be strict. It's kind of this all or nothing mentality. And really, not a lot of us are 100% strict all of the time, every single day, 365 days a year. You're going to have moments that do and don't work. You're going to have moments that are and aren't keto. And so by you making this really outlandish claim that for an entire year, you're not going to ever have carbs or something that you enjoy, like a treat or something like that, is not reality, right? And so if you are going to set a resolution, make sure that it's real, that it's something that you can attain. Yeah, it can be a little bit harder than what you're used to doing or whatever, but make sure it's realistic because if soon as it's not and you don't do it, you quote unquote cheat on your strict ketogenic diet, that first time that you do it, you're going to think you're a failure and you're going to give up. So it should definitely be a little bit more attainable, but still something that you know, would be something for you to work towards and something that you can do that would make you healthier and happier. That's the goal, right? So that's what I have to say about resolutions. Just really take some time to actually truly think about it. Maybe not so rigid, but still something to shoot for and with a really good intention behind it. So again, really make sure you are thinking about that why why do you want to be keto? What are you looking for it to achieve? What is the underlying deep issue here that needs to be addressed? And make sure that that why is really at the center of what you make your resolution to be. And that brings me to a really good point. One thing that I wanted to make is if you are going to use the beginning of a new year to really work on your health, which I mean, I think most of us do want to do. That's one of the reasons why we make resolutions is to work on our health status, especially when it comes to making diet changes or making lifestyle changes to include workouts or going on walks more often or spending some time self-care, meditation. You know, we make these goals with the idea at the end of the day that our health is going to be positively impacted. So if that is the case, what I think would be really great for you to do is to take the opportunity at the beginning of this year to get your health measurements tested, especially the ones that you want to see change. So if it is your hormones, if it's your thyroid, if it's your blood sugar panel, your cholesterol, whatever it is that you want to see improvements, take the time at the beginning of the year to get those tested and then maybe periodically, maybe once every three or four months, you can get them retested. 
And that will potentially help you stay on the course because you have these measurements showing how you are improving and what this resolution that you've made is doing to your health. And that's a really great way to kind of keep going with it and stay true to what your goal is instead of losing sight. So it's easy to put it to the back of our mind when we don't have these measurements in front of us. But if we make it a standard thing that you're going to get tested and retested and that's what you're working on and you want to see these measurements change, I think that's a really good way to do it. And, you know, some of these tests may cost money, but I think it's a really good investment for you to make in order to keep these goals going. I mean, that's a huge step to take to not only make these resolutions, but then put some money behind it, some investment. I think that anytime any of us invest actual dollars into our health, it takes on a whole new tone. We have a whole new level going on there when we put some money behind it. And so, yeah, you may have to pay out of pocket for some of these tests. I mean, I prefer and I really only recommend you do a salivary or urine hormone test. I know a lot of women are continuing to get blood testing for hormones. And almost every day, I see how inaccurate they are with my clients. So I definitely do recommend those tests if you are looking at your hormones. And those are 99% of the time not free or not covered under insurance. So that may be something where you'll have to put an investment towards your future, towards your 2018, towards your health. I love that. One other thing I want to say about if you are someone that wants to make resolution, instead of making it a resolution based about things that you are restricting, especially as we talk about diet, I'm not going to eat carbs so I can be 100% strict keto the whole year that's, you know, pretty restrictive and you're taking something away from your life. Instead, see what you can add. So like I mentioned, you have the same life, but maybe you are making a resolution or a goal to add a 10-minute meditation to your morning every morning or adding in an afternoon walk when you get home from work or adding in some more servings of vegetables. So another two or three servings of vegetables per day. Simple things that you can do where you're adding into your life make it seem way less restrictive, way easier to continue doing. Even that power of positivity instead of that negative restrictive mode makes it easier to achieve. So consider that as well. And then again, something I wasn't planning on talking a lot about, but here I am rambling on when I'm supposed to be doing quick keto Q&A, but this is really important. I have some really good ideas of things that you could do instead of resolutions. So if you're someone that has tried resolutions every year and you never stick to them, then just, you know, maybe accept that about yourself. Maybe accept that you're not that kind of person, that you don't do well with having these goals looming over your head and they just don't work. So it's okay. I'm kind of the same person. I always made really restrictive goals for myself at the beginning of the new year, and I never stuck with them. So I don't do that anymore. I just live my life and add some things. And so these are some of the things that I'm doing that maybe if you're someone who doesn't like doing resolutions, you could try as well. So one thing I've done in the past, I'm not doing it this year, but I have done, I'm sure you've all heard of them, are vision boards. 
So vision boards are just really fun and really cool things to do. It's kind of a fun thing to do with a group of your friends or even your family. You could do that with your kids. It's a really good project that you could do with your kids. I think that would be really fun. Basically, you're just taking some magazines, flipping through them, finding things that kind of just speak to you, whether it's words or phrases that you want to encapsulate what your year is going to be like or maybe pictures of vacation spots or something that you want to include in your year. It's just fun to do. I mean, will they come true? Maybe if you really truly believe in it and it might, you know, just prop that up somewhere, maybe on your desk at work or something where you can see it regularly and, you know, just believing that it will happen and putting some dreams on there and some goals and visions on your vision board. It's really pretty powerful stuff, especially if you make sure to see it and think about that on a regular basis. What I am doing this year is I wrote a letter to myself that is set in it being the end of 2018. So I just kind of talked about the things that I accomplished, the changes I've made in my life, what great things happened, and just how good it feels how awesome I feel about all the changes, and what a great year it was. So you're basically kind of predicting ahead of time what's going to happen and how you're going to feel about it. And it really sets the tone for the year because you can kind of see yourself at the end of the year having all that stuff done, having this life that you know that you want. You just visioned it and wrote it down for yourself, to yourself, And so I think that's a really great way to kick off the new year is just thinking about everything you're going to accomplish that year and how you want your life to look in one year's time. And then the last thing is, I've done this before too. I'm not doing it this year, but I do have them all on my website if you want to check them out. Instead of doing a resolution, you can do monthly goals Like I said, I've done them. They're just kind of little challenges. Some of them were like eating more vegetables. Some were going to bed earlier, taking time for meditation or self-care. I just made up little random challenges for myself. And every month they would be completely different based on what I felt I needed to work on in that time for that month. And I just changed them around and I use it as an opportunity to blog. So like I mentioned, they're from, I believe, 2015 is when I did this. So I was going through some health stuff at the time too. So I kind of based a lot of my decisions on my challenges around that. So you can go to my website, just search challenges and you will find all those. But really fun. That's something that you could do too. And then it's a lot easier to bite off as far as your goal is concerned instead of being like, oh, all of 2018, I'm going to do this. Just little 12 chunks make it a little bit easier to follow and to stick with. So that's an idea too. Okay. I wasn't planning on talking about this for so long, but as you can see, I really love the idea of making a new year about something that you can add to your life, something that you want to accomplish over the 12 months. So I do really believe in thinking about it and really setting an intention for your year, but it just doesn't have to be this typical resolution that we make that just doesn't happen. It just is too restrictive 
too strict, too much, and we don't stick with it. So give yourself some time. I know it's already a few days into the new year, but that doesn't matter. You can still take some time over the weekend or whenever you have a chance to think about some different things that you want to try to ring in the new year. Okay, are we all ready for these questions? It's time for rapid fire keto Q&A. So I got these questions just based on what people have been sending in to the show, info at ketoforwomenshow.com if you do want to submit a question. And these were questions that really I wanted to answer, but they just are quick. They don't take up that much time. So I went through all of the questions yesterday and picked out some that were easy to answer. So hopefully I can get through a bunch of them and you'll have your answers. Yay. Okay, let's give this a try. Tracy asked, have you or anyone else noticed a body temperature increase on a keto eating style? I often feel hotter than anyone else around me and sweat more with little effort. Thanks, Tracy. Yes, this is actually a pretty common concern of the Women in the Fat-Burning Female Project and just other people I know who transitioned to keto. The good thing is that it will regulate itself. So as you progress further in your keto journey, this will level out and stabilize and get back to normal what you're used to. But when you are initially transitioning into a ketogenic diet, you will experience this increase in metabolism as your body has found this new energy source that's very readily available, very easy to metabolize, and it causes this increase in metabolism, which is great, but it will come across as you feeling hot, you sweating easily, and it is something that you're. some of us will just have to kind of deal with for a period of time. But like I said, it will regulate as you progress into a ketogenic diet that kind of becomes back to status quo pretty quickly. If it doesn't, and if it's something where you are noticing it, it's pretty severe, it's not going away, then it is most likely because of a hormonal balance that needs to be addressed. If your hormones are out of balance, and especially if they're out of balance before you go into keto, and then you make the transition. And a lot of times when we make the transition into a ketogenic diet as women with hormonal imbalances, that transition to keto is going to do great things for your hormones. And it really is going to help you balance those hormones. But they don't always balance right on time, right on schedule as we hope them to be without any side effects. So it could be that you are experiencing a hormonal imbalance that is potentially healing itself. But with that comes some are up, some are down. They're not 100% perfect as you get there and during that healing process while you get there. So that might be as well. And if it lasts a longer period of time with these episodes of being really hot, then definitely something will where you'll want to look into your hormonal status a little more, a little deeper. And like I mentioned earlier, through salivary or urine testing, highly, highly, highly preferred. 
Now, one other reason why you might be hotter than normal when keto adapting is if you're not fully in ketosis and you're just eating low carb, like I've mentioned in pretty much every episode, then that status of low carb purgatory is causing a stressful environment on your body and that will increase your cortisol. When cortisol is increased, which is our stress hormone, that's what we don't want to have happen, then that excess cortisol in your body also represents a higher kind of metabolic shift and that increase in body temperature. So keep that in mind too. That's something that we don't want to have happen. And again, hopefully that would stabilize within a few weeks. If not, you really want to check to make sure that you are actually in ketosis, producing ketones, check those ketones and make sure that that's not the culprit. Now quickly, if you are someone who is cold or colder than normal when you switch to a ketogenic diet, again, you really want to make sure that you are in ketosis and not just eating low carb. And you really want to make sure that you're eating enough food because if you're not eating enough food, you will immediately cause your metabolism to downshift to the amount of food that you are giving it. And that lowered metabolism causes a change in your body temperature and how you feel. And so you'll feel really cold. So enough food and making sure you're in ketosis to keep that from happening. But then also you want to always keep in mind in both cases, your thyroid hormones. So in either case, if you're producing excess thyroid hormones, you will be hot. And if you're producing a lower level of thyroid hormones, you will be cold. So keep those in mind, both cases. Again, if either case, if they don't change quickly or within, I'd say, several weeks of being keto adapted, then you may want to get those thyroid hormones tested and also consider your sex hormone status too. Okay, so that was supposed to be quick and didn't happen. That's all right. Next one. Why would you eat more carbs after establishing your carb tolerance? Do you lower your fat intake on those days? So really, I've talked about carb tolerance in the past, and really the only reason why you would eat more carbs if you can, and once you've established that you can, say for instance, you stay in ketosis when you have 50 to 75 grams of carbohydrates per day, then basically you're just doing that to know, at least in my opinion. So if there are times when you want more carbohydrates, when they truly legitimately, intuitively sound good, then eat them. And you know that you can have a certain amount and still stay in ketosis, still stay feeling really good. And it just gives you a little bit more information about your body and how to be more intuitive with your keto diet. That's really the only reason, in my opinion. If you are someone that works out really heavily, that does a lot of sprint work or power moves, something like that, then you could use that information about how many carbs you tolerate staying in a ketogenic state to increase your carbs around your workout times as well. So that would be another option, but only if that's something that makes you feel really good during your workouts and that you want to do. You don't have to do that. And then as far as lowering your fat intake when you eat more carbs, I personally don't believe that you should. I mean, you're probably going to lower them a little bit, especially if you're having a decent amount of carbs. You may not just even be hungry enough to include as much fat as you normally would on your ketogenic days, but 
It shouldn't be that much. You should definitely not be eating any carbohydrate plain. So if you're having a sweet potato, make sure you're using lots of butter, almond butter, coconut butter, wherever you like to put on your sweet potato. If you're having a banana, make sure you're having almond butter with it or coconut butter with it. You can do a smoothie and add some coconut milk and stuff if you're going to add berries too. But just really make sure because we want to counteract, and this will happen, we can counteract the effect of our carbohydrate intake on our blood sugar by basically dampening it down with fat. So you are going to have less of a blood sugar response with your carbohydrate source if you are including fat with it. So keep that in mind. They should definitely be paired together in order to keep your blood sugar nice and steady and not have that crazy spike that we're looking to avoid as much as possible. Next, Sue wants to know my opinion on intermittent keto, which is something that she had heard on another podcast somewhere, which is one day on keto, one day off keto. So I think most of us agree as being people that eat a true ketogenic diet that, A, we don't really want to do that. That doesn't really even sound appealing. And B, that would probably just make us and our bodies more confused. It would not work well. It would not go well. We would not be able to stay in ketosis all of the time or as much as we want. So it just doesn't make sense, in my opinion. Now, I will say, if you are someone who is not really super into keto or doesn't know if you want to do keto, or maybe you're just someone who's doing low carb, if that's the case, then that could be a transitional pattern to start off a ketogenic journey would be to do an every other day thing for maybe a few weeks. Or if you're just wanting to do low carb, then I think that that could be a good way to go is one day on, one day off, because then you're not taking the chance of getting into this low carb purgatory that we talk about all the time here on Keto for Women. So that could be an option too. I think it wouldn't be all bad for some people. It could be used as a transitional measure, but I think for most of us who are living the keto life, it just really doesn't even sound like something to consider for the most part. All right. Next one here from Sherry. I just recently started keto about two weeks ago and yesterday I broke out with a very itchy rash. I did some Googling and discovered something called a keto rash. Have you ever experienced this? Any advice? Some of the websites said to increase your carb intake, but I ate a sweet potato the night before I broke out. Yeah, this keto rash, it's not a super common thing that comes with transitioning to keto, but it does happen to some people. And the best guess, I mean, there's not a whole lot of research or evidence out there about keto rash, but the best guess is just you can hold acetone, which is a byproduct of producing ketones in your sweat. And so when you break a sweat, or even if you just basically live and you might be a little sweaty, who knows, that you don't even notice, you can cause an irritation on your skin and it will be itchy and rash-like and won't go away no matter how much Benadryl you take or anything like that. So it is not that fun. It's not that great and it's hard for people to get through. Now, that being said, if you can live with it for a few days, it hopefully will subside. It usually is something that can go away pretty quickly for those of us making this keto transition. 
If it doesn't, or it's just not something that you can continue to live with, which I totally understand because being itchy and rashy is probably one of the worst feelings ever. So I get that. But if it's not something that you can tolerate, then I would say back out of the ketogenic diet. So like Sherry mentioned, she was told to eat some carbs. So eat a decent amount of carbs to get you out of ketosis for a few days. So back completely out of ketosis and then maybe give yourself a week or two, maybe not even that long, just until you feel kind of back to normal, your rash is cleared, and then try to go into ketosis again, but at a much slower rate. So kind of at the fat-burning female rate, the reason why I developed a course to take you slowly into ketosis is for reasons like this. And just don't you know, make such a transition so quickly But take it step by step, little by little, and try to get into ketosis a little more subtly. And that should potentially help. But yes, it is a real thing. But luckily, it is not a long-term or forever thing. Okay, next one. I had multiple people. This was one of the biggest questions I had on my list of all of these questions you want me to answer. And it is about shortness of breath when transitioning to keto. Yeah, this is huge. This is a big one. The good thing is that it is super easy to fix. Yay. And I know it doesn't seem like it because it seems like you're about to have a heart attack or you can't breathe or something's really, really wrong. But most of the time, it is a really, really easy fix, which is that you have to get your electrolytes balanced out. You are in a state of dehydration because of this transition to keto, which is super common. It happens to all of us. It just is what happens when the transition is made. So take the time to really try to find your perfect balance of electrolytes. This is going to include magnesium, potassium, sodium. And when I say sodium, I prefer you get sodium from actual real pink Himalayan sea salt instead of a supplement form. So the other electrolytes can come definitely in a pill form. That's usually the easiest way to take it. I will link to the electrolyte supplement that I prefer and have all of my people take, and it works so well. I will link to that in the show notes on this episode. So you can get that in pill form, but then you also need to be intaking a lot of high-quality sea salt. You can do that by putting it in your water, by putting it under your tongue, and also your food. So if you're just salting your food, it's probably not enough when you are transitioning to keto. You need to also either put it in your water or underneath your tongue and let it dissolve something. I would say up to about a teaspoon a day. So give that a shot. Make sure you're taking your electrolytes. The amount of electrolytes is different for everybody. So you're going to have to find your own tolerance. You'll know. You'll feel really good. You'll actually feel the improvement of the shortness of breath and help heart palpitations if that's something that's also happening. You'll feel everything just kind of subside and your body will regulate itself and you'll know that that's a really good amount. It's usually somewhere if you're using the supplements that I'm going to recommend here on this podcast in the show notes, if you're using that, it's usually between three pills and six pills per day if you're using the one that I recommend. So that's going to help a lot. It's part of the keto flu situation, the shortness of breath, and it can go away very quickly and very easily and you'll be just fine, I promise. 
All righty, Lisa. When and if my hormones balance out, will the large amount of facial hair go away? I have hair growing on my chin and jawline, upper lip and neck, so much so that I am starting to have to shave. Lisa. Yes, Lisa. I know it's probably super hard situation to deal with, but what is the best thing is that you know that this is a hormonal thing. And we now know that our hormones can and will change. We can turn them around. So this is obviously a sign facial hair for women in excess is a sign of too much of your androgen hormones. So that would be testosterone and DHEA. So these quote unquote male hormones and or not enough progesterone and estrogen. So it can be both just being totally out of whack. It could just be that your progesterone and estrogen are so low that your testosterone is taking lead here. So the important thing is that you need to find out what it is. You need to find out the status of your hormones as quickly as you can and really work using keto and using other means, supplemental support, lifestyle changes to balance those out. Okay, so that is definitely something that will change, I promise, but it's not going to change until you know exactly what you're dealing with. And this is where we have to become the empowered women that we are and learn more about our bodies. That's all I can say. Obviously, I say that in almost every answer, but but yes, definitely it will change, I promise. Next, Michelle wants to know about getting nightmares on keto. This is pretty common too. And again, it comes back to this state of electrolyte balance. That's the first thing, which I believe Michelle said that she was already had figured that out and it wasn't electrolytes. So just for others, if you are someone who is dealing with nightmares since you've been keto, make sure again that electrolyte balance is in check with the salt with the electrolyte supplement support, finding your tolerance. Make sure all of that is in play. Make sure you're drinking enough water. So beyond just adding salt to our water and taking these supports, you also need to make sure you're hydrated all the time. So that's really important. Make sure you're in ketosis, of course. So if you're just, again, in this low-carb purgatory, it could be causing some stress on your body, and stress will translate into poor sleep, which translates into nightmares. And the thing that is seemingly most unrelated but is quite often the reason for nightmares is based on your gut health. If you have a parasitic infection, a bacterial infection, SIBO, candida, Anything that is overgrowing in your gut that's not supposed to be there, it will cause nightmares, which sounds crazy, but is absolutely true. And I mean, you can kind of just think about it as these little little things in your gut that don't belong there that will then cause you to have nightmares when you sleep. So keep that in mind. It may be something to look into your gut health and finding what's going on in there, especially if you have corresponding bowel movement issues or gas, bloating, anything like that, anything in the GI system that doesn't seem right, and you also have nightmares, there we go. That's a really big sign. And then the biggest thing really that I can tell you is whether you're keto or not, if you're having nightmares, you need to take a deep, hard look at your stress level. 
If you are at all stressed, if your adrenals are at all taxed, if you are producing cortisol at awkward times of the day, especially at night when you're supposed to be sleeping and not having nightmares, then you will see that. You will see that in your dreams. So really make sure that you have a good handle on your stress, that you are taking time to reduce your stress, to do self-care, to meditate, clear your mind, all that stuff, especially before bed. That will help a ton. So really looking at everything. It's not just keto. I know it seems like it it, because a lot of times it comes about when we transition. But for instance, if it's because of your gut health or if it's because of your stress level, then even making any sort of change to your diet is going to correspond with these changes in symptoms. So it just happens to be that the change of your diet is kind of bringing this to light a little bit more and causing these additional symptoms. So keep that in mind as well. One last thing, if you're on any any prescription medications, I would look into that and see if any of your symptoms of those prescriptions include nightmares or any sort of sleep disturbance because that could be it too. All righty, we're moving on now to Laura's question. How well does keto work for women who are trying to gain muscle? So we talk a lot about weight loss, weight loss, weight loss, but what about when we want to gain muscle, which if you are someone who wants to lose weight, you also want to gain muscle because your weight loss is really not going to sustain itself unless you are also building muscle, which then increases our metabolism, gives us this nice, strong posture and structural support, allows us to be physically active easier and and to push ourselves in our physical activity. So yeah, we might say we want to lose weight, but a lot of us really actually want to gain muscle in addition or instead of, right? So Gaining muscle as a woman is beyond important. And I know you guys know because I talk about it all the time, but that you have to work out. It's kind of not even a question. It has to happen. And working out while being keto is going to get you these muscle building results even quicker, which is so cool. And I've seen this in my own body. I spend less time working out per day. I do more things that are enjoyable instead and don't lift as heavy of weights by far, by far, 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 like going from hundreds of pounds to like 20 pounds. So big difference. And I am maintaining and building muscle so much easier than I ever have because of my state of ketosis. It just is so easy to maintain the amount of muscle that I have without killing myself in the gym as I used to do and doing more things like walking and yoga and and things like that. So to Laura's question directly, yes, it is very good for gaining muscle as a female. It increases the human growth hormone, which is basically our hormone responsible for protecting against muscle loss 
and bone loss, but if we're talking about muscle, it basically helps us maintain our muscle mass. And we have an increased amount of that in a ketogenic state. So that's basically the biggest reason why. I think another reason why, you know, this isn't like studied or anything that I know of, but I really think a big reason why is because we have so much more energy and so much more stamina and so much more strength when we are doing our workouts. So I noticed this, of course, again, in myself, like just being able to get through the workouts and wanting to do the workouts and wanting to do a little extra and to just be more active instead of taking a nap, I go for walks or, you know, just things throughout the day that I think lend itself to being more fit people and having more muscle because we have better workouts. And I think that if you are someone who's been in ketosis for a while and is now a ketogenic worker outer, you would definitely agree with me. The only caveat I can say to this is if you are wanting to build muscle, you definitely need to eat enough food because you're not going to build muscle on any diet. But, you know, we're talking keto here. Even if you're on a low calorie keto diet, you are going to lose muscle. You're going to lose muscle. You're not going to be able to get stronger. You're not going to be able to look leaner. And I know that's a huge goal for a lot of us out there is to just look a little leaner and more fit. It's not going to happen if you're not eating enough food. You can try all you want. You can spend all the amount of time you want to in the gym and it's not going to happen. And the only other thing I'll say in regards to this is This may be a situation if you are someone who is all about that muscle gain where you do a little tweaking, a little bit of finding your own spot as it relates to protein. Because protein is our macronutrient that we need to repair and restore and rebuild our muscle, especially after a workout. So we do need a specific amount of protein. Each body is different, obviously, based on how much muscle you have and what your goals are, of course. But we do all have this amount of protein that we need to build muscle. And so it would be nice for you to maybe take some time to see what that is for you and make sure you're getting that into your keto diet. So of course, the best amount would be one that gets you through the workout, makes you feel like you're building lots of lean muscle and and feeling really strong, but doesn't take you out of ketosis to do so. So that's kind of your sweet spot. And for a lot of people, it might be more than you think it is, especially once you get started on a really great fitness routine with lots of strength training, then you will notice your protein intake may need to increase, which is just something that you have to find out for yourself. All right. Next one, Christina. This is a recent one. So I think a lot of people have this question. Dr. Barry said, cow's milk is terrible for us humans. So what do I give my son who is being weaned to drink? What type of soft meals and snacks do I give my son? Think six to 12 months instead of the typical baby cereal crackers, puffs, obviously he will get pureed foods. Christina. Yeah, I actually had this question. I think a friend may have brought it up. 
I can't remember who I was talking to about this, but it is an interesting thought because a couple episodes ago, Dr. Ken Berry was on the show and talked about the problem with milk and basically, you know, told us that really we shouldn't necessarily be drinking milk as humans. And so then it comes up, okay, so what do we do when we're trying to wean our babies And the typical thing to do is to switch from breast milk to regular milk. And obviously, maybe that's not the best choice now, now that we've kind of thought about it and and heard that. And the good thing, Christina, I don't know a whole lot about this actual subject. I mean, of course, I would tell you to have these pureed veggies and fruits and meats and bone broth and things like that. But I have friends who do actually have babies and know way more who are in this philosophy, not giving their babies dairy and all real food and really nutrient-dense foods and teaching their babies from a very early age what foods they enjoy and that those foods are nutrient-dense, high-quality foods. So I think that's really important. And so I will tell you to instead, I have a friend, her name's Elena grazedandenthused.com. I will link to her website in the show notes. She has a whole post about what she fed her baby when she was weaning her baby. And it is just the coolest stuff. She followed the principles of the Weston A. Price Foundation, which if you don't know what that is, I'll link to that as well. But they believe in ancestral foods and stuff like that and really nutrient-dense foods. And just the things that she came up with, I was always so fascinated, even as someone who doesn't have children, it was fascinating to see what she was able to feed her daughter right from the get-go to really get these nutrients in. And just some examples, she did like mashed liver, sardines, and salmon, which she just kind of flaked off and let her daughter just kind of gum on until they were small enough to swallow. Soft-boiled egg yolk bone broth and bone marrow, which are both great, and then all kinds of oils and lard, coconut oil, tallow, all of these really nice high-quality oils too that can get to her baby lots of fat. So I will link to the actual post with this information because it just was really cool to see even as someone, like I said, not something I'm necessarily looking to incorporate in my life ever, but good information to know. And we don't have to go through the standard kind of what we've all been taught or what we all thought was the next step for our babies. We can feed them better than what we're eating is how it should be, right? We should be feeding them with the most nutrient-dense foods that we can because that's what we want for ourselves. And of course, we want that for our babies. So I will make sure that you can see that article. So go to my show notes and find that grazedandenthused.com. My friend Elena, she's the best. Okay, this is the last one. And I think we're going to get through it. So great. This is one many, many, many people ask me. And I thought that I had several episodes where I talk about this, but I think it's one of those things where it just bears to be repeated. And it's this topic of how do we get enough fat into our ketogenic diet to make us keto, to make us actually produce ketones. And with that, keep our protein moderate. So these ideas that I have, I think I've mentioned before, but these are basically just my go-tos. This is what I do. This is what I have lots of my clients do. 
my tips right here for more fat. Don't just cook your vegetables in fats and oils, which I know we're all doing, and that's great. But also, once they're on your plate, put more fat on top of them. So that's the biggest thing is just because we're using fats in our cooking doesn't mean it's all going into our mouth. A lot of it is evaporated. Some of it stays on the pan, etc. So make sure that if you're roasting your veggies in butter, make sure when they come out of the oven and they're on your plate, maybe you drizzle some olive oil or put some more butter or something like that. That's a big one. Obviously, you can add your fats to your drinks, which I know a lot of people do. It's the bulletproof trend, adding all your fats, MCT oil, butter, coconut oil, whatever you prefer into your coffee or tea or whatever, blending it up, and that's your drink. I think that is a really good, simple hack if you just don't know what you're going to do to get those fats in, just drink them. Just drink them. It's delicious, easy, and you'll probably make a new favorite drink along the way too. So keep that in mind. My favorite is to make mayos, sauces, and dressings. I have at least one of those three in my fridge at all times. And no matter what quick meal I'm making, I can always find a place to put some sauce on it. You know, if it's a pork chop, which I just say that because that's what I'm eating tonight, then I will be putting some spicy mayo on my pork chop and eating it that way. Same thing with salads. You can put tons of dressing on it. And all of these I would really, really, really prefer were homemade. That makes it really economical. You can have fun experimenting with different things. They're delicious. And we're just making sure that we're staying away from those processed oils that are in a lot of dressings and mayos at the store. So of course, there are brands that are great, the avocado oil-based and whatnot. So that is, of course, an option. But if you can make it yourself, why not give it a try? It's super fun. So make all the mayo sauces and dressings that you can from home and try some new flavor combinations and just get creative. It's the easiest way to add fats because obviously they're all fat-based and you'll have ketone production in no time. The next one, high percentage chocolate. I mean, of course, I'm a chocoholic, 100%. And I think that having a high percentage chocolate, I'm talking 85% or higher, Ideally, somewhere between 90% and 100% would be awesome. Those are great snacks and will really bump up your fat intake for your day very quickly and easily. So huge fan of that. Nut butter and coconut butter, yeah, they have a little bit of carbohydrate. So if it's something where you're sensitive to those, don't eat them, obviously. But if not, then again, what an easy way to get a few more servings of fat in because they're delicious and you can just have a few scoops. That's usually I do a nut butter as a dessert type item. So I'll have a few bites of almond butter or cashew butter or something after dinner. And that's kind of like my dessert, but really I'm just bumping up my fat. Of course, fat bombs. I mean, that's really the easiest thing. I think if anything, fat bombs might almost be one where it's like we can overdo it because when we want one, then we want five. So fat bombs, keep them in the freezer, pull out one or two if you think you're going to be low on your fat intake for the day and take them with you and call it good. And then as far as protein, 
really it's super easy. It's all about just slightly modifying the portion size of the protein that you're eating. It's not hard. So if you're having three meals a day and they all have a portion of protein, just make it slightly smaller, especially if it's not a protein that has much fat. So if it's like a chicken breast, maybe cut it into thirds and eat two thirds of it instead of what you would normally have the entire thing. Super easy to do that. And then of course, remember to take out your protein powders. If you are having trouble, protein shakes and drinks don't really have a whole lot of purpose in a ketogenic diet. In my opinion, I'd rather see you just eat the food. And especially when protein sources and protein amounts are lower then you should be eating protein. So take those out. The only kind of caveat I have to that would be if you're using collagen or bone broth in your day, I think that's fine. It's not adding a ton of extra protein, but definitely giving you the benefits of those amino acids. So I'm cool with that. But anything beyond that that's like an actual like post-workout protein shake is probably not doing you so well. Yeah, those are my, I don't, No, I feel like a lot of people might be trying to overthink it. It's like we hear we need all this fat and then we just don't understand. Like, are we really just supposed to be drinking olive oil, which I've heard people do. So it's a thing. But no, it really doesn't have to be that complicated. But it will take a little bit of maybe just being creative and making a new sauce or something to put on your meat tonight. You know, it really can be that easy. Just give it a go and see what you can do. I think it was last week even I was just thinking, wow, I cannot believe people can't eat enough fat because it comes so naturally to me now that I've been doing this for almost a year and a half that I can't imagine not eating my fat sources in a day. And they are these things like mayo and nut butters and fat bombs. I'm doing all of this on a pretty regular basis. The only thing I don't do is put fat in my coffee just because I prefer not to. So that's it. You know, the rest of the stuff is all coming very naturally. And I think it will for you too, once you get the hang of it, once you see how easy it actually is. Okay. That's going to do it for today's episode. I don't think I was too bad. I got through, what, 10 questions and we talked about resolutions. So I think I was somewhat rapid fire. I could probably work on it and make it even better. But I wanted to make sure to get through those questions with nice, good, appropriate answers so you felt like you had the info you needed to move on. Before we move on to what's coming to Keto for Women in the next few weeks, a quick reminder to check out this episode's sponsor, Health IQ, the company that brings life insurance savings to the health conscious. Head to healthiq.com slash keto to take your lifestyle quiz and see if you qualify for a lower rate. That's healthiq.com slash keto. Things coming up in the next few weeks. We have a really awesome interview next week talking about weight loss resistance. Very excited for you all to hear that. And then the few weeks beyond that, I think it's going to be a two-parter. I haven't quite decided yet. I want to talk all about ketone testing. So the difference between blood testing, breath testing, what all the numbers mean, what you should be striving for, 
What happens if you're not getting the numbers? I just really want to go through it all. And I also want to talk about why we even need to care about ketones. What are these healing benefits of ketones that I keep talking about? What is it doing specifically? So those are going to be coming up later on in the month. That's basically your month in review right there so you know what's coming up. Very excited to have all those episodes come out and excited to have you with me for this journey. I thank you so much for spending this time with me, and I just want to say I'm so excited for what's to come in 2018 for all of us, and I hope you'll continue to be around and hang out with me on the Keto for Women show. Great things to come here for sure, and I just want to continue bringing you all the information that I can for 2018 so you can be the healthiest, happiest version of you. That's my goal for you all. All right, that'll do it. Thanks so much for joining me and we'll talk to you next week.